It's episode six of the fourth series of the Haiku P podcast. I'm Patricia, and this week I'm bringing you lots of fantastic haiku and senryu from your very own Poetry P community, as well as some previously published work which matched our topic of exaggerated perspective. I'm really delighted to be joined by Christopher Pays, Richard Tice, and M. Shane Pruitt, who are the community judges for today. You can hear what they have to say about the poems they nominated. And of course, when the Spring Journal is out, not so long to wait now, you can find out which of the nominations won and which two splendid verses are the honourable mentions. So without further ado, let me start with some previously published work. And my thanks must go to Debbie Strange, who sent me a piece of her work to read out, and to Brad Bennett who not only was a star in the previous episode of the podcast, but shared with me some of his favourite haiku, which he thought would be great for this podcast. Thanks to you both. And if you'd like to share your previously published work on any of our topics for this year, do please send them in, and I'll do my best to feature them. As usual, I'll read the verse first, and then tell you who the poet was. Fog deepens, the sound of rabbits nibbling night. Debbie Strange, Grand Prize, 2016 World Haiku Competition. And here's a selection from Brad. Thank you so much, Brad. Late night, a deer drinks moonlight from the top of a pine. Edward Riley answers instead. I have a little bit of poet's envy about that one. After the downpour, the evening sky all over the road. David Sargent, notes from the Jean, 3.2. Old barn, a pine eye lets in the sun. Yu Chang, the Heron's Nest, 19.1 Cloudless night, a drip in the sink, catches the moon. K. Grimes, Acorn, 5 And now we come to the part of the podcast in which I read your verses, written especially for this topic of exaggerated perspective. Thanks so much to Deborah P. Kologi, for introducing us to this topic. I'd like to welcome Christopher Pays to the podcast and ask him to start us off by telling us which of your original verses he's chosen to be his nominations for the judge's choice. Welcome, Christopher. Thanks, Patricia, and thanks for having me. It's, it's wonderful to be here, or to, to be here um, and to speak <laughs> with you all. Um, so I chose for this week, or this month, excuse me, um, a haiku from Angela Terry. And her, her verse is, Creek Song, the stories only rocks know. I'll go one more time. Creek Song, the stories only rocks know. And that's a verse from Angela Terry. 
Um, and I chose this verse, or this, this, this verse kind of stuck out to me amongst quite a few others. It was really difficult to choose. Um, and I, it, it spoke to me largely because it kind of captures kind of the nature of, I suppose, what haiku is to me. I'm not saying that I know what haiku is, but the way that I interpret and the way I understand it is very much kind of around something that she, she includes in this thing, story. And I think haiku, and when we speak about, about it in terms of or the exaggerated aspects of it, or to use exaggeration, or the, you know, to, to reference the hyperbolic. I think haiku does that kind of almost inherently in many ways, where we, we bring together something that exceeds you know, the possibilities of our perception, nature, the natural world, these moments that are simultaneously so big and yet so small. They're, they're pops and they're, the, you know, the, the Kerouac's notion of it being the pop, but they're also this, this little beat, this little, this little moment. So to me, it kind of brings together both. And when I read Angela's words here, I think it does an, uh, an exceedingly good job of exaggerating something that is seemingly banal, the ordinary, the everyday aspect of water moving down a stream through a creek. And, and it, it tells, it, it, it references that, that story that exceeds the possibilities of our comprehension we can't speak the language of the rocks. We, we can't tap into that. But maybe if we just listen, if we focus, we can, we can enter into that narrative that is long, very, very, it's, it's history. It's, it exceeds anything that we can feel fully in this moment, but then it captures it in that moment. And I think that's a wonderful thing that haiku does. And I think in this, this, this little, this short, you know, I, I forgot the, the syllable count, but Creek Song, the stories only rocks know. We have we have that that temporal aspect, that 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 reference to time, that hidden language of nature that we can't we can't um, access, and we do it in in a wonderful little little moment that I just speaks to me personally. So that's why I chose Angela Terry's verse. Thanks, Christopher. Uh, I think going back to your initial comment we could probably argue forever about what exactly a haiku is. And who knows, in a wee while, we <laughs> might be doing just that. But thank you very much for that choice. Thanks, Chris. Bears in space, climbing the mountain, mother and cub. Lorraine A. Padden No longer a match, the San Andreas between us. Deborah P. Kologi Sunlit dewdrop, on a leaf edge, the universe. Hifsa Ashraf Pouring rain, two umbrellas, bobbing along the fence. Carmen Sturber Willy War, gales from another planet, rush through me. Doris Lynch. I love that word, Willy War. Thanks for introducing me to it, Doris. Sheets billowing against a cloud-filled sky, dripping snowflakes. Catherine E. Winnick. My grey rain trance. A thundering sudden jolt, blinding white. Brett Brady. 
dark clouds soar, a raindrop touches me. Lecker Desai Morrison Far away stars drift towards earth, snowflakes. Pam Joy Cliff boulders tumbling into cold sea waters, now sand underfoot. C.X. Turner A grain of sand in the stark greatness, and still. Natalia Kuznetsova With moon hat riding a beach snail, Fuji under the great wave. Charles Harmon Beach sunrise, every wave draws more day to the shore. Srinivas S. Nudist beach, grey bush crickets, hard to spot. Tim Gardner. Motionless snake, lying on moonlit alley. Rope? S. Narayanan. Sandbox. Laughter echoes from grain to grain. Paul Callas. Beyond the anthill, the city's glassy structures gleam. Mark Gilbert. To open the next section, I'd like to welcome M. Shane Pruitt to the podcast. Of course, this is not the first time we've met him. He did a lovely reading for us in Series 3, Episode 21. Shane, welcome back. Could you tell us which of the verses you'd like to nominate for the judge's choice? Good morning, Patricia. Thank you for having me on here. It's a real honor, and uh, I really appreciate this opportunity. Um, I... I felt like there were a number of poems that deserved uh, some attention, but I selected Nina Singh's Wooden Ladder. On the neighbor's wall, the moon climbs down. Wooden Ladder. On the neighbor's wall, the moon climbs down. Now this poem starts simply enough, and remember that's one of the keys to a good haiku, simple. Ben Gah told us that just recently. Uh, the ladder and the neighbor's wall are everyday items, and most of us have had a direct connection with that imagery, and therefore we can fall easily into the poem. But what's the context? Haiku is about an aha moment, and this is just a ladder. Is there an ongoing project, or is this simply where the ladder lives, and the poet sees it every day in the backyard? But then we get to the turn, and it's the moon that's climbing down. It's a bit unexpected. The image immediately rings with me as I've done a lot of night hiking in the canyons of the American Southwest and I love watching the moon descend on the walls and move down the walls. In this haiku, I can see the shadows of the well-lit rungs moving downward as the moon creeps higher and that brings into view more rungs and more of the wall into the light. The moon is literally descending the ladder. Now, this prompt was about exaggeration or exaggerated perspective. I don't know about you, but when I see that shadow on a really moonlit night, my first instinct is to turn around and look up. And even after decades, I am awed by the moon. 
it's just so close hanging there in space, right? But the reality is that it's incredibly, incredibly far away. You could actually fit all of the other planets in the solar system side by side between the Earth and the moon at its average orbital distance. That's To me, that's just shocking. And what, for me, lends that exaggerated perspective to this particular poem. The moon is actually very, very far away, but here it is climbing down a ladder into the neighbor's yard. The poem presents a rich visual image consisting of very few details, but very effectively draws the reader into their own experience of the, the event. And so one more time, wooden ladder on the neighbor's wall, the moon climbs down. Thank you. Thanks, Shane. You're right, it's very simple. I'm glad you picked that one out. So thank you very much for that. Now, before we continue, I'd like to say a few thank yous. First of all, you've been really fabulous in your response to my mailings. I value your thoughts and opinions, so please, whenever you'd like to send me a mail, feedback or poems, it's a treat to hear from you. If you're not on the mailing list, please sign up on the Poetry Bee website. You might miss something otherwise. I try and do a mailing every week, and last week I asked for volunteers who'd like to help me edit the submissions for the podcast and to be community judges. I had some responses, but there's always room for more. And if you'd like to join in the fun, just send me an email for details. Thank you to everyone who's been generous enough to buy the podcast a coffee. It really helps to keep my costs down. And I have some ideas for new projects that I'd really like to do, but, to be honest, I can't do them without a bit of financial support. So if you have a bit of cash for a coffee, and I know not everyone has at the moment, it would be really appreciated. Now, on with the poetry. Brummel Night. Frozen breaths become a thousand stars. Marilyn Ward. Again, another new word for me. Brummel. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Thanks, Marilyn. A slice of moon, just enough to go round. Laurie Becherer. Orion's belt pulled tight across the treetops. B.A. France. Molten lava, the sun pours down my anger. Richard Sharma. Melted sand bars her from the womb that bore her. E.L. Blizzard. Firefly miracle, planets dance around a distant sun. Matt Schneider. The moon above, shining on the valley in the river. Mike Gallagher. Through pinhole apertures in the dark cloth of night. Infinity. Alison Douglas Turner. Suggestions of discovering the end of infinity are exaggerated. Ian Speed. Breathing new life into Earth's lungs, I plant saplings. Tracy Davidson. Lonely numbers on her warm stone. Stars Beyond Our Sun Robert Whitmer 
Shopping, my toddler counts sons in the fruit aisle. Nisha Raviprasad Saturn and Jupiter almost touch his outreached hand. Mimi Ahern Roller coaster ride after reaching the sun, falling to earth. Rob McKinnon Rob, I wouldn't know. I'm too much of a scaredy cat to go on roller coasters. Thanks for that one. A button on father's coat eclipses the moon. Eve Castle In the mirror, the monk Oyagushita has two pasts. James Young. James, I hope I got that name pronounced properly. Did my best. Alone at home, I travel along with Santoka. Anna Maria Domberg San Cristoforo. New Year's party, that constant buzz. A hive builds in my ear. Anjali Wahadpande. New Year's feast. I gain a million pounds. Jackie Chow. Always adding to the story, she forgets the beginning. Laura Driscoll. Following folk tales in crumbs and moonlit pebbles, seeking adulthood. Kim Russell. Coal stick, with a single stroke, I trap the night. Vandana Parashar. Singing as we haul water up the hill. Roberta Beach Jacobson. Summer Orchard. A pair drips from her paintbrush. Isabel Caves. Holding Dad's hands at my first ball game. Stadium lights. Bruce H. Feingold. Nowhere to hide. No end in sight. Zoom meeting. Shy Afsai. New virus, the time it spends figuring us out. David Oates Coconut tree, she marks her son's height on the wall. Minal Sarosh His terrible twos, breaking the sound barrier. David Iyer Headache a mile long, the walk home from next door. Pat Davis. Deserts of vast eternity, this empty page. Richard Hargreaves. Lone apple tree, a bumper crop feeds the homeless. Richard Bailey.
cave opening. A million spewed swiftlets darken the morning sky. Christina Chin. I really love that middle line. A million spewed swiftlets. Thanks, Christina. In my dish, the spectacular jump of a salmon. Daniela Misso. Sunshine, endless twitter of sparrows in the hedge. Susan Plumridge. Cosmos, beyond the beyond. Apartment cat. Ronald K. Craig. Bucking calf, grandma's fingers through my double crown. Suraj Nanu. Earthquake. Ant Hill trembles with each child's step. Doug Lanzo. A thousand birds outside a song stuck in my head. Craig Kittner. Cyber gossip, bit by bit. Spiders clobber her dream. Anna Yin. Hay bales. We return home. Cricket by cricket. Marion Clark. Vacant factory. Broken rafters patched with pigeons. Debbie Strange. Shiny new bike for sale. A penny in my pocket. Barbara Carlson. This one really appealed to me because it spoke of my my childhood. I wasn't from a very well-off family, but I loved having a bike. And there was nothing better than having my nose up against a shop window looking at those beautiful new bikes. But I never had the money for them. I was telling this to Barbara, and we came up with a slightly different version. Shiny new bike. Nose up against the window, a penny in my pocket. Three seconds of a hunting falcon, a day cut in two. Claudia Pocock. Sunrise, flocks of birds rise from the trees to become one with clouds. Near a cash-up. Squirrels quarrel. A thousand voices greet the new morning. Steve Ullum. Winter chalk stream. Three flying ducks ornament the sky. Dorothy Burrows. Waterfall. A single drop of river finds its fern leaf. Bill Fay. Mountain mist, the entire ocean starting over. M. Shane Pruitt. Grand Canyon Rim, the raging river, only a silver thread. Kathleen Tice.
And to end our podcast today, I'd like to welcome Richard Tice. I've very exciting news. I'm putting the Spring Journal together this month, and there's so much in it. Haiku and Senryu, naturally. The Renku, our longest so far, and a couple of new features. Haibun and an essay. And Richard has written our first essay about place names in haiku. It's really interesting, so interesting in fact, that there'll be a topic on place names later in the year. Thanks Richard, and thanks for coming along today. Tell us, which of the verses has received your nominations? Well, I chose Kristen Lindquist's uh, Map Lichen, The Time It Takes a River to Carve a Valley. I had to look up Map Lichen so I can guess what it is. This lichen grows on mountainous rocks in cold regions. Yellow-green in color, it spreads slowly, creating a map-like or patchwork carpet. Long-lived, if not disturbed, they can survive hundreds of years. I think many of us have seen them, even if we don't know what they're called. This memorable haiku portrays exaggerated perspective in two ways. First, the poem focuses on the flat lichen on a rock, moves to a river view, and then shifts to a valley vista with the mountain as a setting. Second, the slow growth of lichen allows us to sense the enormity of time it takes a river to carve a valley. Kristen Lindquist expands the sense of sight with tactile overtones. She also expands the sense of time so that the poem plays with a haiku moment. Writers usually think of the haiku moment as actually less than a moment, a fleeting glimpse of insight or appreciation brought together by a chance encounter of two elements joining together temporarily. Here, however, the moment starts long, uh, excuse me, starts short, the time it takes to see the lichen and jumps to enormous, enormously long, the time it takes to form a valley. The poem also sounds good. Plosive consonants, m, k, p, t, k, sound produced by opening a previously closed oral passage are followed by fricative consonants, r and v, sound produced by squeezing air through the gap. Both parts connected by the L sound. It is also refreshing to see the structure of two, three, and two stresses for lines one, two, and three, coexisting here with the more common short, longer, short lines. This two, three, two sprung rhythm was suggested early in the 1970s by poets like Patricia Mockmiller as more suitable for accented English than syllable count in unaccented Japanese. Whether intentional or not, the 2 3 2 form of accents creates an expansion and contraction, not unlike that caused by the 5 7 5 syllable pattern in Japanese. Map Lichen, The Time It Takes a River to Carve a Valley, by Kristen Lindquist. Thank you very much, Richard, for that one. It's interesting. I wasn't sure that I'd actually seen the map lichen before. And then last weekend, I was up in the mountains walking about uh, and I was down in the snow and I'd gone into a river valley and there were lots of mossy covered stones, huge stones in this river valley. And they were absolutely covered uh, with the, as you described, the, the yellow, sort of yellow tipped 
lichen. It was it was beautiful. So I, I feel quite an empathy with Kristen's poem. But anyway, my thanks to all the judges for spending time, time with us today and letting us know which of the poems they've nominated for the choice. Actually, I love this new feature. I always find something new in each of the verses that our judges highlight. So now we're all going to have some fun deciding which of the three fabulous verses will be the actual judges' choice and which will be the honourable mentions. And you can find out by reading the Spring Journal when it's out. Thank you very much, chaps. Well, I know what the results are, but I'm afraid you're going to have to wait until the journal is out to find out. My thanks again to the judges, to Brad and Debbie for helping me out with the previously published work, to everyone who sent their submissions, whether you were successful or not, I enjoyed reading them. And of course, thank you for coming along and listening, because without you, I'd be speaking into a void. It's so nice to know you're there. Remember, time is running out for you to send your submissions for the topic of no ego. Your deadline is the 20th of March. And just to let you know, team editing has begun, and the wonderful James Young and Robert Horobin are my co-editors for that edition. Let's make sure they've plenty to do, so if you haven't sent me your submission yet, please do. Next time on the podcast, I have more treats for you. Randy Brooks, editor and publisher of Mayfly, is coming along to talk to us, as is Ted Sherman, who'll be telling us about a really interesting haiku project going on in the UK. Hope you come along and join us again. Till then, keep writing. If I've messed up or left anything out of the show notes, please email me and I'll sort it out. Ciao!